Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. Um, and one of my first podcasts uh, early on in this endeavor was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, with Jess King, who ran for Congress, and some others from that area. Uh, and so now I've gone through all over the country, and I'm back to a different Lancaster, which may be pronounced differently. Um, it's a whole different area from South Carolina. My guest today is Ryan Arioli. Uh, he is running for the state legislature in South Carolina. He's got a great background, and I think he's got a lot of positivity to bring to the ticket, which is something we're sorely lacking in politics, it seems, these days. And South Carolina, obviously, has become a big topic of national conversation for the first time in a long time. So we're going to talk about what's going on there and what he's running for and what issues are very important in the Palmetto State. Um, as, as I've mentioned before, if you can, go back and listen to past episodes with people from every single state, including D.C., and I uh, hope that you will be inspired by Ryan, and maybe you will consider running for office, too. So, with that in mind, Ryan, thank you for joining the podcast today. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. And yes, Lancaster is pronounced different down here. Well, that's, you know, you, nobody's we perfect. We a few syllables. <laughs> so, well, tell me about where you are, because uh, South Carolina, people from who aren't from there probably think the whole state is the same, but... It's probably more diverse in than people realize, right? Yes, depending on where you're located, it is a lot more diverse. But I am in York, South Carolina, which is about an hour northwest of Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But I was born and raised in Lancaster County, so I'm not native to York, but I'm native to the area, Lancaster County being mm-hmm. all of 30 to 45 minutes away from where I am now. And I have heard during this campaign that, like, Jamie Harrison is running for Senate. Someone said they heard ads for him in North Carolina, and that probably makes sense. You, you'd run some ads in North Carolina media to be heard in parts of South Carolina. Yeah, not only that, you get those that work across the state border mm-hmm. and still live in South Carolina. Right. So we talked a little bit before this. Um, not much, though. And I want to know, have you always been politically active, or did something happen recently that kind of got you really tuned into politics? Um, when did you decide to, to become someone who, who cared about all these political issues? Okay, so we'll go back to high school. I grew up in a very small rural community. I went to a high school that hosted students from neighboring towns, from two neighboring towns. So, you know, I'm the product of a Title I school. Mm-hmm. But of course, while I was in school, I didn't know that my education was of lesser quality than anyone else's. You know, I thought it was top-notch because I didn't know any different. So then I go to Winthrop University, where I attended college and graduated with a Bachelor's of Science. And that's what started my whole interest in politics. You know, I had my first political course there, which I ended up mining in, minoring in political science. But it was that first course that opened my eyes to that, you know, what I've known isn't what's all that's out there. Before I went to college, I was a conservative Republican, and now I am running as a Democrat and, you know, pretty, pretty liberal on most issues. 
yeah, I think that culture, and I don't mean just, you know, what TV shows you watch, but the people around you kind of set the tone for um, who you might become. And I, I feel like there are a lot of Democrats running today who years ago, like yourself, thought they had to be a Republican. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, you know, that was all, that was what I was raised with. That was all I knew. But, you know, if we get down to the nuts and bolts of it, what really spurred me into running was the abysmal uh, quality of our education system across the state. You know, we rank 43 in the nation, depending on the polls you look at. But, you know, it's not that the whole state is bad. It's that we just have this vast inequity in our public education. Mm -hmm. Now, I came from a Title I school, and my education was, you know, wasn't as good as others, and it wasn't for the fact that I didn't work hard, because I did. You know, I graduated top of my class. It was just that my school couldn't offer the same resources other schools in the state could. You know, I didn't even know BC courses existed until I went to college. My school only offered three AP classes, which, you know, I took all three of them. And so, I mean, and so that impacts both young people for the kind of education they want, and then, of course, parents who want to um, go somewhere where the schools are good. And I know that North Carolina has got a lot going for it in certain corridors, so people have a lot of places they could go even not too far from you. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's the options of, you know, you can pack up and move and get into a better school district. But, you know, when you have families like mine who are middle class working 40 hours a week or more, we couldn't afford to just pick up and move to a better school district. Right. And that's the issue. You know, the issue is that these families that are working hard to provide quality lives for themselves and for their families don't have a lot of options when it comes to education if they're in a area where the education performance isn't high yeah i i feel like it's a downward spiral where the people who would help the school system by being part of it whether because they're an educated couple or they have a lot of means where their tax dollars would go to the school system if the schools aren't good they'll move so it reduces the tax base and if the tax base and education base is reduced that hurts the schools more and it's just a endless cycle where it takes a big a big lift to get out of it yeah i mean this whole basing school funding on property tax doesn't do rural areas any justice i mean you look at areas like fort mill where the property tax is high because property value is high they've got great schools because they've got great funding and then you look at the area where I came from, where property tax isn't as high, and it's taken two towns to make a high school, you just don't have that kind of funding to compete with much larger schools, and the state isn't doing enough to make up the difference. So, it seems like it is a regular problem in South Carolina. I mentioned before this that... Uh, Last year, I spoke with Carrie Cowton, who had run for state legislature in a different part of South Carolina. Um, and it's what what is the tone from the Republicans about this? Do they because I'm sure a lot of them represent rural communities who have the same problems or are they just not concerned? Do they not see it as the role of government? What is the pushback to getting that done? 
So, just recently, we had a very controversial education reform bill that was reform in name only that, you know, we had our teachers walk out of their classrooms to protest this. And being that our state house and our Senate are both a Republican majority, their voices for all sakes fell on deaf ears. I mean, just the recent voting record of the of my opponent, who is an incumbent and has been in office for almost 10 years now, he voted against all of the amendments that these teachers put forward that would have been helpful in this reform bill. And not only that, he has voted to not pass a budget this year, which is going to result, which resulted in their pay steps being frozen and can result, result in furloughs coming up at the end of the year. Right. So, I mean, just the tone of it is we've been doing this this way, and that's how we're going to continue to do it, no matter what. They just don't have a high enough value on education. And my opponent sponsored an amendment to this bill that would have allowed taxpayer dollars to be used in voucher programs to be, go to private schools and funnel even more money out of our already underfunded public schools. So have you done, have you or anyone you know done advocacy to these legislators to tell them this path you're on is detrimental to our schools and communities? And, and what's the response to, to the facts by them? So out of this whole reform bill, a whole nonprofit was formed by our educators, and that was SC for Ed. And they've got representatives in almost every county in the state that are, you know, building advocacy groups and just this week they took a personal day to contact their legislatures about the most recent inability to pass this budget and most of them were met with either non not answering their phones or just a generic email response so you are a candidate now and Obviously, you've been talking with voters in your area. When you talk to them, is this a top issue for them? And, and how do they view education and these kind of education issues in South Carolina? So they all agree that, you know, our education needs to improve. You know, most of the people I've talked to have been educated or their parents who children are in the school systems. And, you know, they agree that enough isn't being done to provide equity and to just support our schools and our educators. I mean, I know several educators who are working two, three jobs just to pay their bills. And so I know that that, again, creates a slippery slope where good educators won't want to stay in the profession. It's a job where a lot of people don't last more than five years and not or... They don't last that long in that school. So the, the parents can move to other states, and the teachers also, if they feel they're being disrespected, can move as well. I'm sure that there's a teacher brain drain that happens in that scenario. Oh, yeah. So currently, last year, before the pandemic and before things got even more stressful for our educators, we had an almost 600 vacancies. We had an almost 600 teacher shortage. I think the official number was 555 vacancies across the state that were unfilled. And this year will most likely be even greater because people are going to leave their profession, especially if they get furloughed. 
So with all that going on, what would you do as a legislator? You're going, if you win, you're campaigning on education. And I'm sure it is an even more important issue this year because of the pandemic, because of virtual learning, because of everything going on. What would your priorities be in a positive way, like, you know, affirmative way to improve the situation? So what I would like to see is our state, one, establish a funding system that better provides equity to these rural schools. You know, Title I's not enough. Our state needs to make up that gap. And as far as teacher retention, what I would like to see is a statewide first-year salary be a minimum of 40000 And our state can afford it. We had an over, five, an over $300 million surplus last year. Oh, sorry. It was over 300 this year during the midst of a pandemic. It was over 500 million last year. So the state's got the money to fund education. They're just choosing not to. So I would, you know, start with the base pay of 40,000 for our first year teachers and adjust the teachers who are already in the profession, along with making a statewide minimum of 35 pay steps. And also every two years reviewing their salaries and making adjustments for inflation and increasing the cost of living that's something that also isn't done you know they get their raises when they get another pay step which you know if we're not adjusting for inflation then they're not really getting a raise they're just making enough to continue to get by so you said you would raise their starting salary to forty thousand. what is it now the average across the state is between it's around thirty six. Okay, so one, I, I'm I'm a little bit baffled because you're it's not a huge ask. I mean, obviously the that's the average, not the first year, so that means a lot of people less and etc. Yeah. So, but you're not asking to give them like doubling their salary, but then you're also saying that the money exists. So, so yeah, what's the, the pushback? There. So, what's the pushback? The pushback is. That apparently our representatives that are in power just don't feel that it's worth it. They've had this devaluation of education, and I don't know where it's come from. You know, education is the building block and the foundation to any society. So that should be one of your greatest investments. So, so this pushback is just a lot of it. Um, one of the representatives in the Senate... Simrel really supports school choice and pushing voucher programs. So they would rather see money being bundled, funneled to, of course, private and mostly for-profit schools, which is nothing but going to increase the inequity in education offered to people who can't go to those private schools. Right. You, you can go to a private school and... They they don't take everybody, right? So, yeah. but they do take money from the system, so it makes the actual public schools less funded. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a hard argument to me to say that one schools are good, and two that you shouldn't do things that will take money from them when they're needed, and especially in a situation like this where you're already you know, lower than the national standards. Yeah, I mean, we're lower than the national standards. We're facing teacher shortage that's about to grow this year. 
And there is just a vast inequity when it comes to the quality of education for every student. And not only that, of course, they did just recently pass a thing where they're going to expand broadband to the more rural areas of our state, which is great, but it shouldn't have taken them this long to do. I, when I went to high school, I did not have high-speed internet. I still had dial-up, and that was, and I graduated in 2012. Oh, wow. I was going to say, I had the same thing, but I graduated in 1998. Yeah, so that's the problem. My parents just recently were able to even get access to high-speed internet two years after I graduated, so around 2014. And so it wasn't that my parents couldn't afford it. They didn't have the access to it to begin with. So, and I know what are what's going on with schools there now with the pandemic. Are p- kid have the kids been made to go to school? Are things going all right? So yeah, they've. Uh, it depends on which school you're, which school district you're in, but some are half and half. Some gave the choice of you can do full in person or full virtual. So it depends on that. But you know, with this, we've given our educators and an, another hurdle to get over without offering them anything else in return. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they went from, in a matter of days, from in-person to completely virtual, and then they did have the summer to prepare, but now they've had to go under even greater restrictions to provide either a complete virtual curriculum, a complete in-person curriculum, or a mix of both. And now they're being told, you're not going to get your pay steps this year, and you've got a risk of being furloughed. And if you go to school, you have a risk of getting this pandemic. Yes. Not only that, they're not, they haven't been provided the proper PPE, even if they have been provided any at all. So, so, so our they, educators already have to pay out of pocket most of the time to supply their classroom, and now you're asking them to pay out of pocket even more to provide PPE that is already hard to find. So is the state not, like, at the very least, you could get the masks. Is the state not even giving the teachers masks if they're in person? No. Those are to be provided by the school. But even if they do, from what I've heard, the PPE that they have been provided, they've been told to use very sparingly. You can't use it sparingly. (laughs) That's how it works. (laughs) <laughs> They've been told to use it very sparingly because most likely they will not be getting any more. It's like wearing pants sparingly. You can't. You either yeah. wear pants or you don't. So, I mean, and of course we live in a state where our governor refused to ever give a mask mandate. Right. Yeah, I've seen pictures of things um, from months ago where people were partying. Yeah. and Our so- lieutenant governor just recently tested positive for COVID-19 because she was at a cookout without a mask. See, now this seems to be a, a common theme that I have with talking with guests on here, including so from people like you who are running for office or people who are in office, where it's not like you are debating liberal versus conservative in terms of like tax policy. It's just, yeah. it's like you're debating reality versus people who live on a different planet sometimes. Yeah. I mean, and you shouldn't have to be, we shouldn't have to be debating just common decency and just caring about other people's lives. That shouldn't be a talking point right now. Mm-hmm. But the issue is, 
that's a talking point in this state just because for some reason people believe that wearing a mask is an infringement on their personal liberties. You know, being a gay male in the South, wearing a mask is the least thing that is an infringement on your personal liberties. I, I bet. And and so I was looking at your profile and as you like you mentioned, you are um in, in your profile you are a member of the LGBTQ community, um, gay man running in South Carolina. Um, I can imagine that 10, 20 years ago, someone like you would be afraid to run. Do you feel like the environment is better now for more diverse people to run, including in South Carolina, to, to make a change? I think it's fairly, I think it's a bit safer, but I don't think the environment's changed all that much. I mm. mean, you know, you look at it, and South Carolina isn't exactly the most, still isn't the most LGBTQ-friendly state. You know, there are places where if I wanted to adopt a child, I could be denied in South Carolina and says that's fine. Mm-hmm. But those places accept my tax dollars, so they should adhere to standards of, they shouldn't be able to discriminate, but they're allowed to in the state. And not only that, we don't have any, it's a, it's a right to work state, so I have no protections from losing my job. Right. And so when I hear people complain about masks being an infringement, I, and you know, I'm just like, listen, this isn't any kind of infringement unless you're afraid that you could lose your job, you could lose your home, or you could be denied the opportunity to be a, a parent. Yeah, and I think that people, especially people like me who are straight, white men, you know, the the don't realize that, like, so you have a full-time job. Um, if you're and you can be a gay man with a full time job and the person you work for is great, um, doesn't really care, but they they could be replaced by someone who does and just because they, the manager got replaced, that person can be like, No, you're kind of not the kind of person I want here and that person can get rid of you on a moment's notice. Because, yeah. like I said, this is a right to work state. You know, we don't have a lot of protections for as far as LGBTQ is concerned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and especially now, since, you know, RBG is gone, our rights are even more threatened than they were just a couple years ago. Yeah, and it's scary. Like, I was telling my wife when she passed away, I will be fine, most likely. I am a college-educated white man um, with health insurance, so... yeah. I am not, but I, you have to, especially in this environment, it's like you have to explain to people that they have to care about someone other than themselves. Yeah, and that's what's so, that's what, that's what's so mind-boggling because, you know, you know, I, I grew up in church. This mm-hmm. is the Bible Bell. I was taught that, you know, you love your neighbor as yourself, and that's not, that's not the thing that is happening here and it's not what you see in mainstream christianity unfortunately yeah yeah i i grew up going to church i went to catholic school so went to church on fridays and on sundays and you know it i i get confused because that did color my politics and 
it, it colored it in such a way that I remember Matthew 25, like the, those who, that what you do to the least, least of my people, so you do unto me. Yeah. And that's like my whole ethos. And even if I'm not really as practicing or religious as I was then, it's a pretty good ethos. And I don't understand where modern conservative Christianity kind of tosses that aside unless they think this is all okay. Yeah, that's what that's that's what I don't understand. I don't understand how anyone who read the same thing I read could feel this way and think, "Oh, this is fine. We can we can you know strip these people of their rights, or we can throw these kids in cages, and it's cool. We can deny health care to all these people because that's okay." But you know. I'm under the belief that, you know, if it was to come down to it, if we were going to go by religious teachings, it is those that, you know, we provide for the sick and needy. We don't deny them. So you have a different approach than what may be traditional for South Carolina. But, you know, I'm watching from Pennsylvania. It looks like the polls in South Carolina are much closer um, especially for the Senate race than have ever been oh, the yeah. case. It's like, Everyone's shocked. It says 48-48 between Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham. And they're like, I think that there are a lot of Democrats in this country who would rather their own sen- Democratic senator lose who have meant Jamie Harrison beat Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Do, do you think that there is an opportunity for your message in South Carolina, particularly this year? Yeah, I think this is definitely the year to get the message out there because this has been, this current administration has been so polarizing across the nation and in our state. I mean, people don't, you know, South Carolina is more purple than people realize. Yes, it's been a safe red state, but it is, it has been creepingly going more purple. And I think this election between Graham and Harrison really proves that. I mean, you're talking about. Lindsey Graham, who has, without a shadow of a doubt, been able to just win any election for Senate in this state. And now, not only is he being, he's neck and neck in the polls, but he's being outraged. Mm-hmm. Jamie Harrison is outspending him. And Lindsey Graham, for the first time, is in a competitive race and is afraid. And I think it speaks well for down ballot races like mine. You know, people are tired of the status quo and the status quo has been Lindsey Graham and, and it does feel again everyone in the country knows Lindsey Graham and it feels like Lindsey Graham is very invested in national things yes. and national fights and I don't hear him talking about South Carolina much aside from his accent yeah then that's the issue he stopped working for the state of South Carolina a long time ago when he got his own aspirations to get in the White House. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what separates me from most politicians. My aspirations isn't to get a higher office. I'm running specifically to serve the members of the 47th. Do you think with how Republican-dominated South Carolina is, and this is true for lots of states in one way or another, so not just Republicans, but... When it's dominated like that, do you think a lot of people in the legislature, they think that they have to be 
more conservative than maybe they would want to be or like they have to push these very broad issues because they want to get chosen for other positions by the Republican Party so they're adhering more to their party than they are to their district. Oh yeah, I think that's very true. I think it's very true that they're going to that they adhere more to the party so they can get pushed up. The guy, my opponent, Representative Pope, made a run for the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina. He lost in the primary to our now current representative, Ralph Norman, but he's got he clearly has higher aspirations than just representing the 47th in Columbia. And not only that, I have, I, a month, over a month ago, proposed and asked him to, you know, do two debates. Very reasonable request. A month later, I get his written response saying that, you know, summing it up, basically, I've been elected the past nine years. I think I'm getting the message. I think I understand what the constituents of the 47th wall and I formally decline your request so I mean he feels so confident that he doesn't need to get out there and listen to the constituents of the 47th his response was my message has been getting out there I've been getting elected I think we're good so go along with yourself but <laughs> He's only ever been challenged twice in the past 10 years. And only once was he challenged by a major party. Right. The, Democrat. the other time he was challenged by a third party, which, you know, I love third parties. I think it's great to have more than two parties, but in our political system, no one's voting third party. I mean, that's just sad reality. So, I mean, you've been challenged once basically, in 10 years. So you think, because of that, your message has been the one of the 47th. And we go back to his very anti-public education voting record. The people of the 47th believe in schools. Part of the 47th is Clover. They're fighting to be some of the top schools in the state. They care about education because they know that having top schools attracts more people. That attracts business. They're investing in their schools to get more residents, and York's the same way. So his voting on anti-education policies proves that he isn't listening to his constituents. I mean, he even put a snide little PS in there that I believe the people of the 47th want to hear your views on defunding the police. So, you know... He's very confident, and he's brushed me off, and that's fine. I'll use it. Mm-hmm. And how do people, when you talk to them, you you? It's a hard time to campaign, I'm sure, but what you have talked to yes. voters, how do they feel about the way that your opponent's campaigning and and representing things? So you know, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people yet. Next week, I will be hitting the streets and going door to door. That's something he will not be doing, and I know that because he will just. He puts out his signs, and he's confident he's going to win. So I will be doing face-to-face with the voters because, you know, if you're going to be a representative, it doesn't matter if you feel confident in your election or not. You still need to be talking to voters. 
his response is, well, they talked to me, so that's good enough. But from people I have talked to, they're not happy with him. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, that was part of the reason he didn't win the primary. I have to say that um, when I go door knocking, I most of the time as an elected official, and I'm a, a local local official, um, people don't reach out to me. They, people don't reach out to their their like their council members or state reps. They're busy. They yeah. don't think about it. So when I go to their door, now I have an opportunity to find out that, man, they've been upset about this um, traffic issue for months, and I didn't know they were upset, or they were, they've been upset about this parking thing, and it's a really easy problem to fix, but they never reach out to me to do it. So yeah, it's good to be proactive. Yeah, most adults have busy lives. They don't have time to contact their representative when they have a problem or have a grievance. So his opinion is, I haven't been contacted. I'm doing a great job. Well, I know that that doesn't um, lead to true results. So with that all in mind, if people are interested in following you and finding out what your campaign is like, what's the best way that they can follow you online and learn more about you in South Carolina? Okay, so the best way is through the website. It has contact information and every link to my social accounts and it is ryan or sc.com and they can go there they can find links to my twitter my facebook um youtube i haven't been posting on there as much as i would like to but it exists um and they can also find links to ways to volunteer ways to donate and to my campaign shop where they can get some campaign swag Great, and um, also the the podcast is called You Should Run. You, you are a relatively new candidate, um, but with your issues in mind and South Carolina in mind, what would be your words of encouragement to other people if to think about running for office in 2021 or 2022? So my words of encouragement are simple. If you want to make a difference, just file. It's very simple to get started. It's just very difficult to continue. But once you get started running, it's easy from there. So take the leap. I I questioned it for a month, and I talked to party officials. I talked to some professors, and not everything they said was encouraging. They were very real with me. But if you seriously want to run or you think that, you know, you're fed up with the status quo. You have the ability to change it, and all it takes is some paperwork. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. All it does take is some paperwork, and maybe a little bit more than that to to do a yeah. good campaign. Um, but you're right. It starts with a couple signatures and uh, handing in your ID. So with with that in mind, Ryan Aioli, thank you so much for talking. Best of luck to you in South Carolina. I know we're all watching the state to see what happens, not just with the Senate, but with your race. Um, and I hope that if you're listening, uh, maybe you'll take some solace and some encouragement from Ryan's campaign, and maybe you'll run for office too, right? Yeah, it's it's a great experience, win or lose. Good. Well, hopefully we get some winners out of here. Thank you so much, Ryan. I hope everyone follows him on Twitter, at Ryan for SC. 
Um, we need more people to run, especially in some quote-unquote tougher states and districts. No, leave no race uncontested. Um, so thank you, Ryan. You have the best of luck out there in South Carolina. Oh, thank you for having me on.